3: Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. The race for the 2024 GOP nomination is heating up. Key announcements from Governor Ron DeSantis and Senator Tim Scott are expected next week. And our panel is going to tell us what to look out for on the political horizon. And with the migrant crisis straining cities, we're going to tell you about a big story in the headlines this week that one of the men involved now calls a scam the head of a veterans organization accused of rounding up homeless men and telling them to claim that they were veterans being displaced from their hotel lodgings to make room for migrants. She denies it. Tonight we have the facts and the New York mayor is calling for an investigation. And AI feels like a runaway train headed our way. Tonight we're gonna talk to a former Google executive who worked in AI and tech for decades, his warnings ahead. But first, a segment we call On the Lookout, the stories that we see on the horizon. So first, the 2024 GOP primary is heating up. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott filing papers today with the FEC to run for president. He's expected to make a formal announcement on Monday. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to file paperwork declaring his candidacy next week. He was in New Hampshire today taking a swipe at Donald Trump.
4: It's easy to be a front runner. It's easy to go out and take positions that are really popular at the time. It's harder to dig in and really cut against the grain. Not going to be easy, uh, but I honestly believe that uh, that we have an opportunity to right the ship uh, and to get this whole country going.
3: OK, let's bring in our panel. Jessica Washington is a senior reporter at The Root. Jay Michelson is a columnist for Rolling Stone. He's also a lawyer and a rabbi and God knows what else. Lee Carter is a GOP pollster, and Joe Pinion is a Republican strategist and former U.S. Senate candidate. Happy Friday night, guys. Great to have you here. Okay, so let's talk about these political stories that we expect to break uh, next week. So Senator Tim Scott, officially filing this paperwork, um, he says he wants to distinguish himself as a positive messenger and to break away from what he sees as the culture of grievance. Is there a lane for him, Lee?
1: There certainly is a lane for that. I think a lot of people are tired of hearing about how bad it is, about how, hearing about the radical left. I think that there is an opportunity for someone to come out and carve a lane of painting a picture that's brighter for tomorrow. Is it going to be Tim Scott? I'm not sure. Donald Trump is going to be really, really tough to beat at this point. He's ahead in the polls, depending on which one you look at, between 30 and 40 points. That is a huge, huge lead. So he Tim Scott would have to have a really, really solid message One that would really transcend anything that we're seeing right now. And right now he's way down in the single digits. So it's going to be a tough road ahead. What do you think, Joe?
5: Look, it feels like 2016 all over again. I'm sitting next to Lee, as I was in 2016. (laughs) Uh, We have Republican field that gets wider uh, by the day. And we have a national body politic that becomes obsessed with national polls. Uh, This is going to come down to a state-by-state evaluation. We should be looking at the polls on the ground in Iowa. We should be looking at the polls on the ground uh, in uh, New Hampshire. But I think, again, one thing you're not hearing from a lot of the candidates jumping in is that they are the best choice, that they are the only choice that they can win. And I think it speaks to the fact that President Trump does have a stranglehold on that base, that it is this bizarre kind of quirk in our politics where he is a de facto incumbent with all, in many ways, the, uh, the power of an incumbent without that's the actual kind of downside of incumbency. So here we are, as Republicans, once again, piling up. And with all those winner-take-all primaries. As I keep reminding people, you can get 35 percent, but if you don't finish first, all you get is a ribbon and no
3: delegates. Mm. Um, then that leads us to Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, Jay. So he met today with New Hampshire Governor Sununu to talk about that um, primary. Governor Sununu himself might be jumping into this race. Do you think that um, Governor DeSantis' fight with Disney will help him or hurt him in a national race?
4: Well, it's interesting just to think about how, in a, in a sense, a lot of the base of the Republican Party used to be Supporting business, free enterprise, things like that. Now it's corporations who are leading the charge against some self-styled conservatives. Whether it's Dominion in the the Fox News case, or now uh, Disney going up against Ron DeSantis, it's hard to imagine that you know losing thousands of jobs in this gigantic uh, project that Disney just canceled that they were going to do in Florida will play to that base. But I, I think it's exactly what Joe said. You know, a lot of this goes into the minutia of what the rules are for these primaries and. If this does feel like 2016, where there are a number of non-Trump candidates who have varying degrees of messages, but if, they're, if the non-Trump base, the, what's left of you know, the non-Trump voters, don't unify behind one of those candidates, it's going to be a nominee Trump again.
3: Jessica, let's talk about another thing looming for next week, and that's the debt crisis, the debt ceiling crisis. So. The talks are apparently stalled now. They they pressed pause on them today after there were negotiators for Kevin McCarthy and President Biden. And they kind of reached an impasse. So it doesn't look like anything's going to happen over the weekend. The, the sticking point, we're told, is that Republicans want budget cuts with this. So put aside for a moment the hypocrisy that when Trump was president, they weren't interested. They didn't care that much about the debt ceiling or deficit spending. Let's put that aside. Is the idea of belt tightening, they want to spend less money next year than they did this year. Is that fundamentally wrong? Shouldn't we be watching our budget?
2: Yeah, I think the problem is we're talking about this in this abstract way, kind of like individuals worried about, should I spend less on coffee? Should I spend, you know, should I not get this, you know, drink when I'm out or dinner out? And what we're actually talking about are real people who are going to be hurt by these budget cuts. People who are relying on these government services are not living large. You know, people who get food stamps, some of them are still starving. So these little cuts might sound like we've just got to tighten our budget. But we're talking about real people who are struggling and we're talking about making them potentially struggle even more.
4: I think there's a fun twist in this story that I think may be coming our way, uh, which is that the various kind of emergency options, whether it's, you know, minting the billion dollar coin or whether it's sort of some congressional maneuvers to push this thing through, are looking increasingly likely. And it's possible that this is actually going to go to the courts, right, that this is going to be a whole new territory. And that's going to depend just like everything else with the courts, which court, what's the process is, does it go to the Supreme Court? And I think things are about to get more complicated than even in past debt ceiling crises.
3: Oh, goody.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But Jessica will have all the notes on on that. that (laughs)
3: Um, Okay, and we're also on the lookout for another big story that has been happening this week, and, of course, will continue next week, and that is the migrant crisis. So, very interestingly, a story that was in the headlines Mm. that was upsetting about a group of homeless vets who were allegedly displaced from the hotel rooms where they had been staying to make room for migrants. This story never smelled completely right because it didn't make sense uh, to me, at least. when I I read it many, many times over the course of the week. And I kept saying, but why were they displaced? Why couldn't the migrants go to the other hotel where the vets were... It it just wasn't coming together. And now, tonight, uh, CNN's reporting that the mayor is going to... New York mayor is going to be investigating it because apparently... Um, From what we know, allegedly, a woman who runs um, an organization that helps veterans may have found some homeless men and basically asked them to masquerade as homeless vets. She might have paid them to do this to claim that they were being displaced. So this is an aside, but the point is a lot's happening in this migrant
1: crisis. There sure is. And I remember we were on um, the week that all of that was happening, and it really seemed like the migrant crisis was getting out of control. These kinds of stories I think, are terrible because it distracts us from the real issues. We're going to start now fighting about whether or not these things are true. And the bottom line is this. We need immigration reform. And both sides agree that. they We just disagree with how it needs to get done. You know, Republicans are very much about stronger borders. Democrats are very much about let's put the infrastructure in place to do it in the right way. We've got to fix this. And... This story, to me, it's a horrific thing that happened, but we shouldn't get distracted by the larger picture. That We have some issues we need to address. I guess the point is there will always be people who take advantage of this
3: situation.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's tragic because lost in all of this is the fact that we have an acute humanitarian crisis brought about by this border situation. And so, yes, I would agree with Lee that we've long known we have an immigration problem in this country. The problem that no one seems to really want to uh, grapple with here is that this is a crisis of the Biden administration's own making, that they, over the course of effectively two years, said they wanted to get rid of the stay in Mexico policy. No one forced them to do that. They said they wanted to see Title 42 go away. No one forced them to do that. And so at the end of two years, when they've been suing states to not do their own business on the border. Now we've reached the conclusion they wanted, and surprise, surprise, they don't have a plan. So I think, to me, that's the frustrating part that all Americans should be focused on. These are the conditions you asked for. But, and but weren't those,
3: I, I hear you, Joe, but weren't those COVID-related? I mean, didn't that have to expire at some point, well, yes,
5: I think? I think Title 42 had to expire, but I think that the re- remaining a Mexico policy was something that they wanted to get rid of. So I just think, at the end of the day, if they truly wanted to say, we have a new version of American immigration policy as it relates to the southern border, what is it? Two years later, it doesn't exist. It is a makeshift, a day late, many, many dollars short. And here we have migrants in crisis on both sides of the border. And it's just, to me... Something that we need to talk more about, because at the end of the day, those are real people, real pain, real suffering.
3: I think you'll get your wish next week. I think we will be talking a lot about it, as we have been. Thank you all very much. Okay, this next story is jaw-dropping. A man has been showing up at a bus stop for elementary school kids with an AR-15 rifle in order, he says, to make a point. We'll explain next. Okay, we want to show you what's happening. This is; these are images from just moments ago in Hiroshima, Japan, where President Biden is posing, as you can see there, with world leaders at the G7. Today's meeting will attempt to project unity on China. CNN, of course, will bring you all the headlines and more uh, as more develops there. Okay. Meanwhile, back here, for a few weeks now, in a suburb outside of Baltimore, a man. has been showing up at an elementary school bus stop with an AR-15-style semi-automatic rifle. One concerned parent from the neighborhood recorded the man on his cell phone, and here's what that parent told CNN affiliate WBAL.
6: I feel like if we don't do something about it now, then we'll be talking again, and it'll be too late at that point. I think that uh, lives could be lost, people could be harmed.
3: That The man with the gun named Jaden McAdory says he's there to protest recent gun reform measures that the governor of Maryland uh, has signed into law. This is what McAdory said to
7: WBAL.
4: I really wasn't coming out here for the kids. I was coming out here to show people that this is legal.
7: For parents who might ask, just because you can do this, does that mean that you should do this?
4: No, it does not mean that. But I think that if I do this enough, that it will create enough deterrence from crime in the area.
3: Just yesterday, McAdory says he came to an agreement with school officials and he will no longer protest publicly during pick-up or drop-off times for the local schools. The local police department says McAdory is permitted to do what he's doing under Maryland law and that officers, quote, are in the area to help ease growing concerns between students and parents. I'm back with my panel. Jessica, is this possibly the most tone-deaf protest Ever. He's protesting the governor's new gun reform laws. A lot of people protest with posters and pickets. He's bringing an AR 15 to a bus stop.
2: It is just the most absurd form of protest. And I mean, the thing is, it just proves everyone's point that, you know, we shouldn't have AR 15s and people shouldn't be walking around the streets with them and that not everyone should own a gun. And I think this is kind of good messaging for that, that the kind of person who would show up to a school bus to intimidate elementary school children and their parents is maybe not the kind of person we want walking around armed. And I kind of think he's doing a counter-argument for himself. Yeah, I don't
3: know that he's trying to intimidate the children or the parents. I think that, I mean, I take him at his word, he's trying to make a point that he's all about deterrence. It's possible. Is he tone deaf, I guess? He's making a
4: point for the other team. I mean, this is, you know, this is just seems to highlight the argument that this is not what the framers intended, that this kind of weird, cultic, strange fetishization of guns and semi-automatic weapons, this is not what the old NRA used to stand for when they stood for responsible gun ownership. This is a new, strange phenomenon that we should really look at as a sort of mental health crisis in this country. This guy has nothing in common with a responsible gun owner who might have a, a small gun for self-defense or for hunting, something like that. This is a great example, however, of the kind of near psychosis that pervades a certain extreme edge on this issue and it is that the real crime though is that this is not a crime that this is actually legal that's what's the most shocking but
3: isn't it only legal until october 1st uh, because the laws just changed in Maryland. Am so right, right so Maryland,
4: that? right, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision invalidating New York's gun control laws, Maryland uh, passed a very sort of skillfully written gun control law uh, where everybody has a right to concealed carry, but this is an open carry, right? This is different. Uh, and But you, you can't get the concealed carry permit if you fit into certain categories. So it's arguable whether he does or doesn't fit into those categories, actually. Uh, but this should be, the Maryland law, should be a good kind of compromise position. It's not an extreme uh, kind of gun prohibition. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, And so the fact that this is also getting protested, you know, it's like this just kind of moves the sticks. And again, it's not just the one kind of weird guy on the corner, right? The NRA has immediately filed suit to challenge the Maryland law. And there are a lot of folks who should know better who aren't condemning this kind of behavior.
3: Lee, I mean, showing up at a bus stop for elementary well, Let me just tell you, this is why one of the parents at the bus stop says that it is causing so much. He might think it's deterrence, but it's causing the kids anxiety for this reason.
0: They trade and hide if this thing enters their school. And it's right there. How can can they not be a little nervous about that? How can it not give them anxiety? Such a great point.
3: All of our kids are doing drills right now for active shooter drills. And he decides to go to the bus stop.
1: My four-year-old had an active shooter drill in her school, and it's absolutely horrifying. There's just nothing that's okay about this. And I've got to say, these kinds of stories make me crazy, because it makes it seem like that's what the right is out for. And it is not. When you look at the polling, two-thirds of Americans want stricter gun laws. 87% of Americans want criminal background checks. 77% want a 30-day waiting period. 81% want to raise the age. 80% say that they should be able to have mental health checks Americans agree on so many issues here. This is the kind of thing that just makes it just seem like there's a side that is, 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 is insane, and that's not the case. They represent a fraction of Americans. And what I also want to say is it's a shame and scary. 5four percent of Americans say that they have had one of these experiences, a close encounter with someone with a gun. This is not the America that we want to live in. This is not what the Second Amendment was about, and this isn't what American wants. So these kinds of stories really do make me crazy because this is not—I uh, I don't think this is representative. Can we, can of what can we tie this back for. though to the
4: last segment? Because I mean, I think both of you really know the Republican electorate very, very well. Is there a moment? Is there going to be a moment where one of these non-Trump, maybe non desantis candidates actually steps up and speaks for this—you know—large part of the party that wants sensible gun reform?
5: Well, I, I think part of the problem with the conversation in general is that there is the underlying belief, even amongst those people with those numbers, that... There is a desire for people on the left to have a complete prohibition on guns. And I think that that becomes a sticking point for a lot of people. I can't sit at the table in good faith about common sense gun restrictions with a person that I believe wants to take away all the guns. That has nothing to do with this particular case, a person who's shown up uh, with a gun scaring the bejesus out of the children. So I just think that on some basic level, to Lee's point, it makes it more difficult for us to have these pertinent conversations about how do we find common ground on issues where there is already demonstrated desire for the American people to create conditions where we don't have children being shot in math class.
3: Yeah, I mean, I understand that you or that some Republicans may think that some uh, left-leaning Democrats want to take all, away all the guns, but generally when they're negotiating, that's not their starting point. Well, I, mean, negotiation. I, 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 I feel like I, that that becomes I, like a talking I, point I, on it's, the right.
5: It's not a talking point because I think that if you look at all the organizations that are pushing for this fight— a great many of the solutions that they put forth inevitably revolve around trying to have some form of guns move. First it's the AR-15s, mm-hmm. then it's the certain safe, sensitive spaces. So I just think on some basic level we have to decide what is the position of the Democratic Party on guns? What is that position? And then I'm happy to sit down with as many Democrats. I know many Republicans are happy to sit down once that's been established, but it comes with this waffling where they can say they don't want to take away the guns here while the people that are funding the efforts and also why the the people that are the most vociferous on the issue tend to actually have a different point of view. I, I did a little homework
4: because I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. I mean, I looked over what at town for gun safety, right. a nonpartisan organization, but which one which leans toward more gun safety rules. Right. No one is calling for what you're calling for, like at least in the mainstream. W- 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 the when you say Every what I'm town. calling for, what what no one is well, calling. You, no you one is you saying like, let's take side. away all the guns. No, no, no. no. Like, but, I, I
5: don't I, I, at some basic level, right? It, it's it's how you craft legislation, right? If you're it's for instance, no no one says in New York City you are prohibited from having having an actual concealed carry permit, right? But the standards that are prescribed to allow you to have that concealed carry permit are such that it basically makes it impossible to get that permit. I'm using that as one example, but I'm simply saying that, yes, you don't have to say, we're coming to get all the guns, but if the manner in which you have to go through the process to get the gun makes it prohibitive for most people to even be able to meet
4: that standard, then it has the same net effect.
3: Yeah, we have to go. Any final thoughts on that? I mean,
4: again, it... Like, I hear you on that. I get that. But this claim that, like, there are some on the left who just want to take away all the guns, it just isn't borne out by the facts of where the advocacy organizations are, let alone the party, are on this issue.
3: OK, we have to go. Thank you both for those points. Ahead, the moms are talking about what their biggest fears are. Polster Frank Luntz shows us why mothers are fed up with social media and their fears about AI.
8: Stacy, why does social media make it harder for you to be a mom?
3: Because I find the more my kids use social media, the more they see what other people want their lives
1: to look like. And they're almost like jealous that their lives aren't as great as these other people.
3: Pollster Frank Luntz just gathered a group of concerned moms to ask their feelings about social media and artificial intelligence. It turns out they see danger. He started with the question, what one word comes to mind when you think of social media?
8: Influential. Shannon.
3: Dangerous. Amber. I would say dangerous, though, that was. Janelle. Cancer.
8: So, Janelle, you said cancer. Explain that.
3: It just sucks the life out of people. That's it. And Frank Luntz joins us now to share more about what frightens these moms. Frank, great to see you. That was um, that was sobering to hear what they think about it. And what else was sobering, because I watched all the clips, was that they're worried about it. They think it's a cancer in their lives, but they don't seem to be able to do anything about social media and its influence on their kids. Is that right?
8: And that's one of the challenges. By the way, there's nothing that would get me to get up at uh, 4.29 a.m. in London other than this. Thank you. I was listening to the segment that you had before. And guns, and the violence of guns, and the fear that our children have is so significant. But that's some children in some places. The scourge of social media and artificial intelligence is almost every child in almost every community, in almost every neighborhood and home. We know the damage it does physically. We know the damage it does mentally. Moms are telling us that their kids are staying awake at night, that they're not sleeping, they're not exercising, they're not going outside. They can't have communication with their own children. But their children don't know how to talk to their parents. That many nights they spend at the dinner table saying absolutely nothing, and yet nothing is happening. Allison, I don't understand why so many parents don't treat this the same way they would treat guns and narcotics and and strangers and not let people into their homes. To me, the most amazing comment was from a mom who said... These are things I wouldn't let into my household, and yet my children bring them in every single day, and I don't know about it. And Washington does nothing.
3: Yeah.
8: This is not a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. You can be rich. You can be poor. We know the damage that social media is doing, and AI will do, and yet Washington does nothing.
3: And these parents feel so powerless. Here is, you asked them, I believe, what their message would be to social media companies. So here's this moment.
2: That you are destroying the next generation for profit or maybe for more nefarious purposes but they know what their technology does to children's brains they have designed it to be addictive it is an intentional play for them because eyeballs are dollars and i i mean i can't you know I don't know how to convince them that their dollars are not worth the cost. But as a human being living here, watching what's happening to the next generation as a mother, it's not worth the cost to me. So it's not going to be in my house. And then, Frank,
3: I mean, so obviously that's frightening. And then they see on the horizon, you know, coming down the pike, AI also, which we'll get to in a second. So tell us tell us what their thoughts are on why social media companies aren't doing anything.
8: So they understand that the kids are addicted, but they can't remove their kids' addiction. They understand that it allows kids, and those are the particularly the the websites that show children an unreal existence. And so the kids come home and assume that everybody lives that life, that everyone has that clothing and those toys and those games and, and everything about it. And it is so frightening because moms... This is the toughest job on the face of the earth. And the social media companies are taking a tough job and making it impossible that moms tell us that they've lost control. And most importantly, they're telling the world that they're losing their children. Mm. Such a big deal. And we're not spending nearly enough time talking Mm. about it and doing something about it.
3: So we we are about to have a conversation with a Google executive about the dangers of AI and and trying to sound the alarm about what's ahead. And these moms that you spoke to know about it. They already sense the danger. Even if they can't put their finger on what exactly it's going to do, they're already sensing sort of the looming storm clouds coming. So here's that moment. I am, because I think
2: AI is making humans obsolete. I mean, they're smarter than the average human. They don't have emotions. They're taking away jobs
3: from people. They're taking away that human contact. It dehumanizes us uh, as, as people. That's why it's artificial intelligence. You could uh, make it uh, do a lot of harm. And it's all artificial and it it doesn't have any concern for uh, human feelings or human uh, person. So that's a danger. What did you think about that conversation, Frank?
8: I think it's actually less important and I'll explain why. As adults, we have the responsibility to make decisions for ourselves. And there are some times when it's taken away from us, but it's still we have the capability to know right from wrong. We have the capability to make to, to observe and to participate in our own lives. Children don't have that capability. I love Google. Google is one of my favorite companies on the face of the earth, I depend on it. And all I would say to the Google executives, what power are you giving to moms specifically so they can tr- control what goes into the heads and the hearts of their own children? When you have moms in tears telling me that they have no way to shut off that device, that they take it, they take it away from the kid, they turn it off, and the kids become angry and temperamental. It's classic addiction, that you have to give parents better tools, more and better. So they have the ability to reestablish that mother-child relationship, to reestablish the brother-sister relationship, to reestablish the child with all of the world around them. Because let me be clear, if this is an addiction, This is dysfunctional. This is scrambling our kids' brains. And if you don't do something about it now, within the next five years, you're going to regret the hell out of it because it's going to
6: be too late.
3: Frank, we really appreciate you getting up and being on at 4.30 in the morning, your time to uh, talk about all of this and the findings from that focus group. Really interesting stuff. Alison, thank you.
8: Thank thank you. you for doing this.
3: See you soon. Okay, so our next guest says that AI will be a billion times smarter than humans in a couple of decades. A former executive at Google's secretive Google X Lab joins me next.
8: My robots don't kill people. That thing threw
0: somebody out of a window. Is that registering with you? A robot cannot harm a human
7: being. You trust them if you want to. We look to robots for protection. Imagine the loss of all that we've gained because of an irrational paranoia.
3: It's a dystopian science fiction hellscape that we've seen in movies, machines outsmarting human beings. Then there's a battle for humanity, and in the magic of the movies at least, humans win. But in real life, what does a future with artificial intelligence look like? It could potentially have inconceivable power, and some pioneers of it are trying to sound the alarm. Mo Gaudat is a former executive at Google's secretive research and development lab called Google X, and he's here to tell us what the future holds. Mo, thank you so much for being here. We've really been looking forward to this conversation. So um, you know a lot more about AI than I think most of us do. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst— how worried should we be about artificial intelligence and what's about to happen?
6: Thank you very much for having me, Alison. This is a very, uh, you know, a very timely conversation, I would definitely say. Uh, the robots do kill people, just on, as a comment on the uh, science fiction clip that you uh, showed so far. Uh, this has been a big part of the investment of uh, you know, killing machines and killing drones and so on and so forth. Uh, to answer your question accurately, there is a I would say there is a very low probability that a very bad situation would happen. There is a very high probability that a reasonably bad situation would happen.
3: So you, do you lose sleep over this at night? I mean, are we at a not on a scale of one to 10? Are we at a nine for how worried we should be about it? And 11? Where where are we?
6: I'd probably say we should be worried we should probably act as if it is a nine out of 10, and probably react, uh, you know, and, and sort of hope for a, a five out of 10. There are immediate dangers that I definitely believe we are not going to escape. Uh, the exi- existential threat that we see in science fiction movies is much less likely to happen. But it is definitely a possibility. So oh, but when think you about s- it this y- way.
3: Yes, but, but hold on. When you say there are immediate dangers, can you just outline a few of those for us?
6: I mean, the, 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 it's game over for our way of life altogether. I mean, think about it. Uh, we are today at a, a place where something like ChatGPT GPT is measured to be at 155 IQ. It, is, it knows a thousand times more than the, than the best of us. And it, it does that uh, with with almost 10 percent of the number of neural networks that we have, with a limited compute power for a pilot. Uh, ChatGPT 4 is 10 times better than 3.5. Just think about it. If we get another 10x when it, when we go to ChatGPT 5, it will be at an IQ of say 1600. That's a hundred times. Uh, that's 10 times Einstein. Right now, we have to imagine what that means to the fabric of society. So, things like jobs are gone. We absolutely have to start reacting to this right now. Uh, you know, think about the reality of what kind of power this is almost an Oppenheimer moment. Right? Give that kind of power to one person and see that this the disruptive. Uh, uh, differentiation of power and how that would uh, would impact our society. It's uh, it's definitely a call for action immediately.
3: So Mo, when you say that they can become um, killing machines, as you just said, AI-powered machines, that sounds bad. What do you mean by that?
6: It so, sadly, because of uh, of the system that humanity has built, which is known as capitalism. Nothing wrong with capitalism, by the way. There is a big uh, issue with the target we give to capitalism. Capitalism as a, as a process is very, very efficient. And when we use it to achieve more power and more dollars, if you want, then what ends up happening is we do the, the wrong things. And if you look at most of the investments in AI today are going into what? They're going into killing, spying, uh, selling, and uh, that's it basically and that's not a uh, you know a, a special thing for ai every industry that wanted to make more money or gain more power it, they they invested in defense we call it defense we don't call it killing they invested in selling we call it you know we call it advertising we don't call it selling uh, they, they invested in gambling we call it trading and we don't call it gambling and we you know they invested in spying we call it surveillance but we don't call it spying and when you really think about it if you have a cancer research approach, you need, to, you need to raise funds. But if you said, I'm going to pour investments on something that's going to sell more by capture, you know, capturing children in front of social media uh, for a longer time to show ads, everyone will pour money on it. Uh, the, the investment cycles that are going today, uh, and, and it highlights my biggest concern. My biggest concern is not the machines. Actually, I'm not afraid of the machines. I'm afraid of what humans can do with such immense amount of power when the objective is more power and more money.
3: So, Mo, what should President Biden or Congress or elected leaders, what should they be doing today to stave off some of this catastrophic scenario?
6: We need to be a little realistic. Uh, We can regulate humans who are developing AI. You cannot regulate AI. You cannot regulate something that's a billion times smarter than that's, that's by definition. There is another solution that's not up to government to do that, and we can talk about this if you want to. The, the government today needs to start uh, reacting a lot quicker than they reacted to the pandemic of COVID-19, right? We waited until there was patient zero, and then we waited until there was patient 10,000, and then we reacted. This is a wake-up call today, that is not very difficult to, you know, to, to to predict where it's going. They need to number one uh, make sure that anything fake is is uh, is shown as fake. I think there should be a law that simply says, uh, uh, you know, people should be criminalized for putting out AI-generated content unless they highlight that this is AI-generated, that that this could be fake. I would go as far as to say face filters should have a remark on them that says, this is fake, you know, face filter, this is not really me, right? They need to work on, you know, there was the open letter trying to stop AI, that's impossible just because of the prisoner dilemma of everyone trying to get ahead and the arms race to, to, to AI, if you think about it. But we need to find a way to tax AI benefiting companies differently so that we can actually pay for the jobs that are going to be lost as a result of AI, right? We need to engage in ways where we say, yes,
2: advance
6: AI, but don't put it out on the open internet unless you're absolutely certain of the controls, right? And these are all barriers that we've been crossing, one after the other, just because the topic has not been brought up to people's attentions, uh, you know, uh, 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 loud enough if you want. And I'm really grateful that you're bringing it up to people's attention because this is the time to act.
3: Ma, um, we only have 30 seconds left. Who should be pumping the brakes on this right now?
6: I think businesses, investors, and developers need to become ethical. The first entry gate into an unethical AI is an unethical developer, unethical businessman. I think we are, I ask all investors to pour money on ethical AI uh, and you will make a lot of returns if you, if you make an AI that can cure cancer or help us, with, help us with climate change. Don't pour money in the wrong places, right? If you don't want your children to struggle with the AI you're investing in, don't invest in it. If you, if you don't want your children to, de- to struggle with the AI you're developing, go out and you'll get a million jobs. It is the hottest industry on the planet don't code AI
3: that's unethical. Uh, Mo Gaudat, thank you very much for having this conversation with us. We look forward to having more with you because it is important that we know what is coming ahead for all of us because this is civilization changing. Uh, Thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, great to talk. Thanks very
6: much.
3: And we'll be right back. NFL legend Jim Brown has died at the age of 87. He had a remarkable career on the field and shocked the sports world when he retired at just 30 years old to devote his life to acting and activism. Former President Barack Obama tweeting, I was too young to remember Jim Brown's playing days, but I knew his legacy. One of the greatest football players ever. He was also an actor and activist speaking out on civil rights and pushing other black athletes to do the same. Our thoughts are with Jim's wife, Monique, his children, and everyone who knew and admired him. More on Jim Brown's amazing life from CNN's Andy Schultz.
7: Jim Brown's name no longer dominates the NFL record books, but many still consider him to be the best running back of all time. The former All-American football and lacrosse player at Syracuse was the top draft pick of the Cleveland Browns in 1957. He led the team to the league championship game that same season, earning the Rookie of the Year award. Brown never missed a game, but abruptly retired after just
8: nine seasons. My attitude is that as a champion, I only relate to my level of performance. And I must remain pure in that. And I am pure in that. And uh, I live that way. And what I've done speaks for itself. I only talk about it when I'm asked about it.
7: He walked away from the game as the all-time leading rusher, a record that would stand for nearly 20 years.
8: I think the intensity level that I carried And my numbers in nine years are going to be hard for anyone to match.
7: After football, Brown caught the acting bug. Starring in the 1967 movie The Dirty Dozen, he went on to appear in more than 50 films. Brown also made his mark as a civil rights activist, working with inner-city gang members and prison inmates. But Brown had his own demons... He spent four months behind bars for refusing to accept the terms of his probation for vandalizing his wife's car in 1999. I
3: turned down three deals. Then when I was sentenced and given a ridiculous sentence, I turned that down. Why do you think I did that? Because I'm afraid to go to jail? Hell no, I'm not
7: afraid to go to jail. But through it all, he remained a sports icon, the only man to be enshrined in the pro football, college football, and lacrosse Hall of Fame. Another Cleveland favorite, LeBron James, paying
3: his respects to Jim Brown. The NBA star saying, quote, I hope every black athlete takes the time to educate themselves about this incredible man and what he did to change all of our lives. His Instagram post includes a clip of him giving a bow to Jim Brown during the 2015 NBA Finals. And thanks so much for watching tonight. Our coverage continues now.